Good morning, and thanks for joining us for part two of our series, God and Me. We're talking about identity formation and the way in which God shapes and forms our identity along the journey of faith. And we're doing this because the pandemic, the pandemic has caused many losses, including the loss of things that many of us have counted on for our sense of identity, like our work or jobs, or maybe some of our things, or maybe the image that we present on social media. The pandemic has caused these losses, and many people are asking, who am I if I am not my job or my title? Now today, we're looking at a second dimension of identity formation. We're talking about our relationship with God as our Heavenly Father, and we're talking about our identity as children of God. And we're talking about three different aspects of what this means for you and me. Number one, it means that I enter a new personal relationship with God. John chapter 1 is the beginning of John's gospel and explains the coming of Jesus in very philosophical and theological terms, but it also gives us insight into this new reality. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not recognize him or receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name... He gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. At the end of this passage, John introduces a very interesting idea. He says, when you receive Jesus, the light of God, you were born of God. You are born afresh and anew. You enter into a new reality. Jesus repeats this idea in John chapter 3 as he's having a conversation with Nicodemus, who's a religious leader. He says, if you want to see the kingdom of God, you have to be born again. The metaphor of being born again is sometimes lost to us because it's overused a bit in church world. But it is something that we need to pay attention to because it it holds the key to understanding this dynamic that we have with God the Father. When my older daughter Emmy was born, the doctors and the nurses immediately placed her on this little table. It was full of monitors and flashing lights, and they gave her this little tube that shot out oxygen. To my surprise, as I was standing over her and watching, she grabbed the tube And she pulled it to her face, and oxygen filled her space. She breathed it in, and she opened her eyes, 
and she looked at me. My heart just melted. And I was watching for the first time as this little baby was experiencing the wonders of birth. She was taking in the world through her eyes and through her breath as she was experiencing new life. This experience is a metaphor of what it's like to come into a personal relationship with God. We are entering something new. Something new is taking place that wasn't there before. There are two aspects to this teaching that we need to explore for just a moment. And the first is this. It's this idea that we are now being put into a relationship with God that is very personal, like a father loves a child. You see, throughout the Hebrew scriptures, God is presented as Almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth, who is holy, who is other. Moses, who is one of the most prominent figures in the Old Testament, who is very intimate with God already, asks to see God face to face. But God says, no, you won't survive this. And so God passes by him, covers him up, and Moses is able to see his backside. Moses, a man who's so close to God, can't see God face to face. And all of a sudden, in the New Testament, when we're introduced to the ministry of Jesus, we're introduced to a brand new way of relating to God. The God of creation, the one who spoke the universe into being, the one who breathed life into dust and created humanity, is now opening up a new way to relate to him. The late J.I. Packer, author of Knowing God, phrased it this way, To those who are Christ's, the Holy God is a loving father. They belong to his family. They may approach him without fear, and always be sure of his fatherly concern and care. This is the heart of the New Testament message. The second way we need to receive this teaching is to understand this in the realm of our experiences. You see, what God is saying about being born again and being born afresh is that we're entering something that is not just continuous from our old experience, but discontinuous. So when I was a new Christian, I remember hearing this sermon from someone who was speaking to a group of Asian Americans about their experiences with God. And he was saying that because many of us have had very emotionally distant earthly fathers because of Asian models of parenting, that using the term Heavenly Father was probably not the most resonant thing, and maybe we should just skip it altogether. I remember wrestling with this and feeling very uncomfortable with the idea, because some of this logic didn't make sense to me. You see, we don't have to have had an experience with a good healer to know that God heals us. We don't have to have had a prerequisite experience of grace in order to know that God can bring us grace. When God says we are being born again, born afresh, we're entering something new with him that is discontinuous with our past. Author and speaker Lee Strobel tells the story of a little orphan girl. And during the Korean War, a Korean woman had an affair with an American soldier. Together they had a baby girl, 
And when the war was over, the soldier went back to the United States, and this woman raised this little girl by herself. This girl grew up in a very different way than the rest of the kids that she was with. She was half Korean, and in that culture and at that time, this was considered an embarrassment. It was shameful. So this little girl was shunned and isolated. She was teased and she was called ugly. The persecution on their little family unit became so intense and so bad that her mom made a terrible choice. She abandoned her daughter to live on the streets by herself. And this little girl survived by eating plant roots and garbage. She found other orphans who had no homes and together they lived in abandoned buildings and under bridges. Years later, she wrote and described her own identity. When you hear what you are, when you are a little child, day after day after day, you begin to believe that about yourself. I believe that anyone could do whatever they wanted to me physically because I wasn't a person. I was inhuman. I was dirty. I was unclean. I had no name. I had no family. I had no future. I hated myself. Eventually, she found her way to an orphanage. It was a place of refuge for her. And at this orphanage one day, the news came that a couple was coming to adopt a baby boy. And everyone was excited because at least one little boy's future was going to be changed. This no-name girl got excited and she began to clean up all the baby boys. She gave them baths, she combed their hair so they would be presentable, and so each one of them had a chance to meet this couple. When the couple came, she described it as follows. It was like Goliath had come to life. I saw the man with his huge hands lift up each and every baby. I knew he loved every one of them as if they were his own. I saw tears running down his face, and I knew if they could, they would have taken the whole lot home with them. He saw me out of the corner of his eye. Now let me tell you, I was nine years old, but I didn't even weigh 30 pounds. I was a scrawny thing. I had worms in my body. I had lice in my hair. I had boils all over me. I was full of scars. I was not a pretty sight, but the man came over to me and he began rattling away something in English and I looked up at him. Then he took his huge hand and he laid it on my face. What was he saying? He was saying, I'm with this child. This is the child for me. This little girl goes on to describe what happened next. Although she loved the touch of this man's hand upon her face, something took over. Instinct. She didn't know what to do with this affection. So she ripped the man's hand away. She spat in his face and she ran off. <clears throat> and this couple left the orphanage. She began to think the worst. She didn't know what that meant. She didn't know how to handle it. The next day rolled around, and to her surprise, the couple came back. 
And to everyone's surprise, they made a decision on who to adopt. Instead of the baby boys, they chose this little girl. I love this story because it reminds me of this truth in John chapter 1. <clears throat> we are adopted by a Heavenly Father who loves us. And we are born again into a new experience. And our past doesn't matter anymore. And while we may have painful experiences, and while we may have broken experiences, God is in the business of repairing that and bringing us something new. And God is all about love and grace. And he desires us to enter into something new with him. Our second point today is this. Having a heavenly father redefines my identity as provider and protector. Our relationships play a role in shaping our identity. Our identities are shaped and formed in community and in relationship. Nobody forms an identity in isolation. So I'm Ted, I'm a husband, I am a father, I am a pastor. All these identities are social in a sense. They require relationships. And many of us have identities as providers and protectors. This is part of what we do. This is our God-given role. This is the case with those of us who are parents. We protect and provide for young ones, for our kids. This is the case for those of us who care for aging parents. We provide for and protect our parents. And some of us have work related roles that require us to be protectors and providers for those who can't take care of themselves. During this time when COVID-19 is breaking out and causing all kinds of different threats to our lives, it has become very difficult to continue being a provider and protector. And some of us feel like this role has taken on new significance and a new sense of heaviness. And this is where we need to really come to God as our Heavenly Father, because knowing God as our Heavenly Father redefines this type of identity. Back when my older daughter Amy was about two and a half, one day she was in the bathroom by herself and she stepped up to the sink uh, by using this wooden stool that we had. She did it pretty much every day and we thought nothing of it, but only this day she slipped and she fell and she hit the countertop with her chin. I was in the next room and I heard this big boom. I rushed in and I saw her holding her chin as a pool of blood was forming in her hands and on the floor. I immediately grabbed her. I put her on the changing table and I tried to take a look at the wound and I could see it was really deep and that we needed to take her to the doctor immediately to get stitches. So we hopped in the car, we took her to the emergency room, and for the next couple of hours, we waited through the emergency room experience and she eventually got stitches and she was a brave little girl. She didn't cry, she didn't complain, but when she got home, she was completely wiped out and exhausted. The week after her injury, <laughs> I really struggled. I really struggled with the sense of being her parent 
wanting to protect and provide for her. This is what I had taken on as her parent. These were roles that I understood, and this was part of my identity. And there was no way I was going to stop this little two and a half year old from climbing all over the place. And I remember just a couple of days later, I saw her climbing on a chair and thinking, this is going to be a really long childhood. But I also heard in that moment, God saying to me that he was her protector. You see, being a good parent to her in those early years didn't mean that I had to protect and shield her from every bad moment or every possibility of getting hurt or every nick, scratch, and bump that she would get. She would get them anyways. That's part of growing up. She was going to explore the world and learn her limits. But being a good parent means this. It means introducing her to our Heavenly Father, who will be her ultimate protector and provider. He's my protector and provider. He will be her protector and provider. And this is what Jesus teaches us to everyone who follows after God. We have the privilege of knowing a God who looks after our every single need. This is how he taught us to pray, in fact. Matthew chapter 6, when Jesus teaches us how to pray, he says this, Pray this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Jesus is teaching us to come to God for our daily needs because God, our Heavenly Father, wants to be our provider. He is our provider. And then later on in Matthew chapter 6, he goes on to say this, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your Heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Having a Heavenly Father reshapes our identities as providers and protectors because it links us with our, with our God who will be our ultimate provider in every sense. Now, our third point for today is that being a child of God means I am valued and loved, period. Our modern sense of identity is very different from the ancient world. If you read through scripture, you get the sense, and this happens over and over again, that everyone identified themselves according to their family history. We learn of James and John, and they are the sons of Zebedee. Jesus is the son of Mary. And the Jews identified themselves as sons of Abraham. There's this family sense of identity. In our world, a modern world, in our culture today, things are very different. We're very individualistic and very centered upon work and what productivity and things that we can produce. When my kids were young, they watched a number of shows. And these shows had characters that were all identified by their profession, by what they did. So we met Dora, and she was an explorer. We met Manny, and he was handy. He was a handyman. If you break it, he's going to fix it. We met Bob. 
Bob's a builder. From an early age, we all learn to identify our own sense of identity and even our self-worth by what we do. But as we learned from 2 Corinthians last weekend, we are not supposed to adopt a worldly point of view. We are meant to see through the eyes of God. And God has some very specific things to say about this. He doesn't want us to be valued simply for our work. Jesus once told the story about a father who had two sons. And the younger son was someone who did everything wrong. He was entitled. He was prideful. He only loved money and not his dad. So he asked for his inheritance before his father passed away. A major insult. And he leaves and he goes to a foreign country. He spends everything. And then he hits rock bottom. He's starving. He's penniless, and in his desperation, he remembers his dad. And he comes up with this idea. He's going to go back to his dad. And while he's far off, while he's returning home, his father sees him, and he begins to run to him. He embraces him, and he throws a party before him. Before this son does anything useful or impressive or worthy, the father embraces him. Now there's a second son in this story. He's the older brother, and he's watching from a distance. He's the opposite. He does everything good and everything right. He's the overachieving big brother who works faithfully doing all that his father wishes. And when he sees what's happened with his younger brother returning home and this party that takes place, He's filled with resentment because he doesn't, he doesn't understand. He's done all this work for his father, and he feels like it has gained him nothing. No extra value, no extra love from his father. And at the end of the parable, the father says this. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Now this parable was given to help people understand why Jesus welcomed tax collectors and sinners. People who had done nothing to earn the favor of God or earn his attention. And yet, you see, Jesus spent his time with them called them to be his disciples, and ministered to them. And why was that? This parable is so important for us in our modern times because it confronts many of our distortions, including the way that many of us feel like we need to find a sense of identity. Many of us look to our work to feel justified, to give us a sense of self-importance. And what this parable reminds us of is this. God loves us, period. God loves us. When we come into a personal relationship with him through Jesus Christ, we enter into this love. And this love redefines everything else. Now, it's not that work is unimportant or that God doesn't care about our work. God cares very much about your work. He calls us into a vocation. He has things prepared for us to do in advance. 
our doing is very much tied to our being and you can't separate that. But what is important for us to understand, first of all, is this. If we are using our work to find our sense of self-worth, the distortion has begun to take place in our souls and we need the work of God to bring repair and healing. Now, like I said in the beginning of this message, being a child of God is something I didn't understand over the years. When I was in my 20s, I understood it maybe intellectually, but in my 30s, it really caused a lot of confusion. It didn't really make sense to me. It was only in my 40s when I began spending time planting access and beginning to understand, I began to understand this truth much more deeply and this truth of being a child of God came home to me and began to rewrite my sense of identity. Part of that came through understanding how my love for work and my need to be justified through work was harming my own soul, was harming my marriage, and even my family and my relationships. And it was through my denomination, through the Covenant Church, that encouraged me to take vacations and sabbaticals and to relearn my hobbies again. I mean, imagine that. It's important to understand how much Sabbath time is important to understanding our identity as children of God. I would say this is among the most vital practices that have helped me to enter into this truth. You see, when I take my summer sabbaticals, and every week when I take my Mondays off, I am no longer Ted the pastor, or Ted the board member, or Ted the founder of this organization, or a leader of that ministry. I am simply Ted, a follower of Jesus, a child of God. And that is enough. That's enough for me to sit on and to meditate upon all the rest of the day. And it's in that identity that I can go swim at the gym. I can go work on my car. I could go take a drive. I can enjoy a lunch with Amy. I can have a dinner with my whole family and enjoy these experiences because I need not be more than that for God to accept and to love me. God loves me, period. And as we conclude today, I want us to conclude with a time of prayer. To be able to sink into the depth of this reality. That those who are in Christ, who receive the light of God, are born again. We are children of God. And we now enter into a new identity with God as our Father and us as beloved children.
Amen and amen. And together now, let's pray our sending prayer. Loving God through all our years, let the church be a community where we learn about love and practice it, where we envision peace and work to build it, where we meet partners in faith who wish to abandon everything that cheapens our discipleship, where we discover gifts and offer them. May your spirit guide us toward joy and generosity. In Jesus' name, in the way of Jesus, 